Welcome to the Daily Business Hustle podcast. My name is Alexander Vitkin. I'm the creator and founder of the Daily Business Hustle. On this podcast, I share with you my top unbiased business advice, sales advice, and I talk to the world's top experts in their fields related to business. Hi, it's Alex here, and I'm here with my friend Wade. Now, I've known Wade for a long time, for about six years now, I think. And uh, just to give a background on who he is, he has 12 years of coaching experience, which I don't think a lot of people can say in the whole world. Uh, he's a successful dating coach in a past life. He did life coaching. He is a copywriter. And what he does now is he's an executive coach for entrepreneurs. So he's taught in over 40 countries around the world. He's had thousands of clients. And he actually told me right before this uh, interview started that his true criteria for success is that he brings entrepreneurs from six figures to seven figures with um, executive life coaching. So what he helps people with is tactics, inner game, resolving sticking points and so on to help them achieve business results. Is that all correct, Wade? Yeah, that works for sure. Awesome. So welcome, welcome to this uh, YouTube channel and uh, maybe also Facebook <laughs> page. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, so let's actually talk about one of the main questions that I hear all the time, and I'm sure you do as well. And that is, I get entrepreneurs on calls with me and they ask me, how do I charge what I'm worth? So a lot of guys are stuck charging, let's say $1,500 or $2,000 for a service, for example, marketing services or other services, and they're stuck at this low profit margin and they can't upgrade. Like, what would you tell them? What is the solution? What is the ideal solution? Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, I guess kind of uh, dovetailing into where I am today. Uh, it's interesting, like in a former life, like you said, being a dating coach. So I started that at the ripe age of 25 um, and kind of, yeah, it's weird being in my thirties yet still having 12 years of experience. <laughs> But I, I love what happened was, is as I started my own business, I fell in love with entrepreneurship, um, but I started seeing consistent connections between dating advice mm -hmm. and sort of what you need as an entrepreneur. And I think if you know anything about the whole pickup industry and stuff like that, like how it started was, oh, you need the lines and you need the routines. But then what you realize is that, you know, you run out of those things pretty fast. And at the end of the day, it comes back to kind of shining the mirror on yourself and becoming a better person. And I remember for myself, I was like, okay, if I have to read like Eckhart Tolle and these sort of power of now things and, and that gets me more girls, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's the same thing in business where people are looking for the tactics or they're looking for the strategies of like, what is the exact script of what I say when it comes to selling a, you know, a higher level, higher tiered coaching or how do I, what are, what are those? I remember for myself, like it's the new, and there are some tactics there that, that really help out. But what you realize is that at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the inner game and the confidence that you have. The challenge being, it's hard to have confidence if you've never done it before. Mm -hmm. And so it's a mixture of, I think, a few things. Um, and we could go all different directions with this. I think one big one, somebody was asking me a few days ago about public speaking and how to really be a good public speaker. And I said, it's a mixture of two things. One being incredibly confident in the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And so if you go into that room and you know that any question someone asks, you can answer it, you're gonna be super confident. And so that's just sort of a preparation thing. And when it comes to pricing, I remember for me when I really kind of uh, made a big leap in my pricing, I, you know, I was explaining, like I did it to my girlfriend, 
I was doing it in the mirror and I was just saying like, and the price is $10,000 or whatever the price is and literally repeating it over and over again. Cause what you don't want to happen is when all of a sudden that time comes and you're like, Oh shit. You know, when it, when it matters the most is all of a sudden you get nervous. Um, kind of like with the girl, all of a sudden you're like, can I get your number or whatever the clothes may be uh, to not really have, you know, when you repeat it again and again, that helps out. The other part of public speaking is just the social pressure. And so something that uh, I really like, you know, hearing a lot of the stuff you talk about when it gets into negotiations and stuff is like getting comfortable being able to handle the social pressure, you know, and being. And so uh, I have friends, some of our mutual friends who like they just they do it on purpose. They, they, they put themselves in like high sort of uncomfortable, awkward situations mm -hmm. just so when the negotiation happens, they're more comfortable than the other person. You know, um, and so they're just constantly in that state and it's almost like building a social momentum there. Um, and like we could dive into deeper all three of these, but I'll just kind of list the three and kind of see where we go with it. But I think the other big one is creating leverage or creating an abundance headspace around it to where, you know, the hardest time to make the sale is when you need it the most. And so the hardest time to, you know, go up to that girl is when you haven't gotten laid in a year or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, what do I got to do? to either feel deserving of the situation or how can I create leverage? And so there's ways beyond just of, well, if you get lower your prices and get a couple sales, that's one tactic. I think one also is, is getting out, you know, having both, I guess, multiple revenue streams. So having little things like maybe monthly memberships or lower end things where you can have some predictable income. So you don't need to be make or break on those high ticket sales. Um, and just finding ways where I think the other big one is just, you know, tracking properly too, to where every entrepreneur you go through that month where you're killing it, you're killing it. And then you just have a bad month. And then the first thing that pops in your head is like, what about next month? Is it going to be the same? And so when you have proper just tracking of your past, it, it's something to look at objectively and go, okay, my business is not falling apart here. We're going to get back on track. And so boom, let's go to the next one. And that, again, it kind of gives you that, the confidence beyond just the tactics. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What, what I always like to say as well is fill your pipeline to the absolute brim. It's pretty hard, as you said, to come off as confident and just be confident in what you're worth when you don't have 10, 20 other leads of similar quality lined up for uh, the next two weeks. So, or even the next half year, if you have a good um, follow-up sequence or a process rather if you do sales. So uh, talking about filling the pipeline, uh, how do you recommend that guys deal with uh, the fear of getting on the phone? Uh, maybe it sounds weird to people who know sales and have done cold calling for like five years, but for beginners, when they get on calls, I've noticed the number one thing that they're struggling with when it comes to cold calling at least is uh, just being on a phone call. And people are willing, CEOs, you know, business owners, they're willing to pay enormous amounts of money so that just someone else gets on the phone. So what would you advise people who wants to learn this skill? Yeah, I'll bring, like I said, there's a, a dating analogy for everything. And it's interesting for me, I came about, this, I feel like old school in that I haven't been single for five or six years. I've been with the same girl. And so I don't have any experience with Tinder or all these sort of dating apps and things like that. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm like the old school tactics where you like, you just go out and you start approaching people. And I think that still goes on. I've seen it a little bit, but I feel that, um, you know, when it comes to selling high ticket offers, especially, 
I feel that like, you know, the higher the price, it's just the more touch points you're going to need to have. Like there's going to be higher intimacy. And so I think a lot of people, they get seduced by the internet marketing world and they think, oh, I can just create a website and I can set up like a landing page and a sales page or I just email them. I never have to talk to anyone. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, money comes in and then I can just do that from anywhere. And it's just like this passive income sort of stream. And maybe like in the very early days, that was the case. But now especially, it's just so much harder to really build a business when you're selling $30 products again and again versus three, especially at the very early stages when you're still trying to figure out, you know, your positioning, your angle and things like that to try to think that you're going to do, you know, low ticket or not even low ticket, but just sort of $37 products and monthly membership stuff and really be able to build that fast um, down the road after you get on the phone calls, then all of a sudden that's going to lead to that being a lot easier. And so I think like anything, what it comes down to is like, okay, how can I kind of reframe this in a situation where getting on the phone is fun and enjoyable? Because I think that's the big part. It's like, it's not about, again, if I look at somebody who like is, is single and, you know, wants to go talk to girls, that for me, it was not normal or natural until it became, it, it was. And what was that a mixture of? One, doing it enough and building that social momentum. And that's something that I noticed with sales calls as well. It's kind of like you said, when you have that pipeline filled up, I think it's important. I don't know if you've gone through this experience where I all of a sudden queued up 25, 30 sales calls over the course of a week or two and really did it. And the first time I did that, I'm like, okay, I know this is a learning experience. I know only one in five, hopefully, or one in four is going to actually convert. But, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to do very well because this is my first time really doing it. And halfway through, I really started getting burnt out and falling out of love with it. Um, mm -hmm. But the other thing I did notice is that like, man, when you stopped caring, it's amazing how much easier when you go for like the pitch and stuff like that, or they do objections, you're coming from this place of what do you got? Let's see what else you got. What are you going to throw at me? And it's kind of like I said, it becomes fun versus, oh, no, I like what's going to happen when I go for the pitch? And he says no. And so I remember the first time I did that, like I said, I got burnt out. And I think what the, the difference was is I took it really personally. I started questioning myself and I started questioning my service. Whereas about six months later, I'm like, okay, let's do this again. But let's really come at this from a place of like thriving or excitement or enjoying it. And not just like sort of, uh, I got to do this again, or hopefully I can do this enough that at some point I could pass this along. Yes, of course, the goal would be to delegate this effectively at some point and you're evolving your script and things like that. But make it fun. Like, how can I have some fun with this? And how can this be a thriving thing? Because this is such a valuable skill to have. And I know you promote it. Like it's a huge part of what you promote too, right? So it's like, um, you got to learn to love it, basically. Don't just uh, cope through the experience. By the way, when you train people to do sales, do you create um, like little copies of weight or do you train people to discover their own style and their own kind of way of doing it? Because I, I know there's these camps in sales training, either copy me or get your own skill based on the foundations or what, which camp are you in? Yeah, I think when it comes to any sort of persuasion, it really comes down to congruency. I think congruency is one of the biggest aspects. So whether that's, uh, you know, talking to a girl, the biggest way that I learned this was actually through coaching. So I have a pretty strong NLP background, hypnosis background. Uh, I apprenticed with this hypnotherapist for three or four years. And it was really like, she's like, to become the best therapist, we'll say, to become the best coach, what it comes down to is 
that sort of, you know, like uh, I'm, you've heard this before, the whole like alignment of your thoughts, words, and actions. Mm -hmm. That's a big, a big aspect of congruence. And so when you have that internally, you're like, I don't deserve this or I'm not worthy of this. It's going to come through, through your tone of voice, just through like, uh, you know, how quickly you respond to certain questions and things like that. So it's like, if you try to be someone else, that's only going to lead to incongruencies. For me, what it comes down to is like, how can you be congruent? How can you be confident? And like understanding, like, I think a huge part of it is just what's the benefit that I really offer the client here. And at some point, you know, they always talk like brainwash yourself of saying like, it's a disservice for you not to compel this person to get what you got. Cause hopefully if ethically it's a great thing, you're literally doing a disservice by not pushing it as hard as you can. And that's something that was a, definitely a challenge for me of like, Oh, I don't want to be, I, I come from a Midwestern American background where it's very be nice. Don't push people to do things they don't want to do. But at the end of the day, like if what you're giving them is going to benefit them, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Sales copy is another great example, right? Like, Oh, it's manipulative. It's persuasive to do all these little things. It's like, I know what I got is going to transform their lives. So I'm going to use any sort of little persuasion tactics, scarcity tactics, things that I can put in place. Otherwise they're just not going to, you know, see the value in it, you know? Um, so I guess, yeah, to finalize with your question, it's like, really, it's like take the tactics, but at the end of the day, you have to integrate them into who you are as a person too. That being said, and this is another rabbit hole is like, what is your actual personality? You know, I, I don't truly, the belief that I have, because I just don't think it serves people. <clears throat> I just believe that like, you can't, you're not an introvert or an extrovert. You might have those tendencies, but I could say from just my own experience and seeing it thousands of times now, like if you want to be more dominant, if you want to be more assertive, those are things that you can definitely learn. It just takes some time. Hmm. Interesting. Actually, what I've noticed when you were in uh, the previous industry that you were, that you were one of the mo most normal guys, actually, in the whole industry that I knew of. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, I, I think that's a good compliment, right? So, <laughs> so basically, uh, what would you say to guys who just live normal lives and they're looking at old life coaches, they're looking at older business coaches and everything seems like a little bit weird like, and, and they're almost scared because it, it seems foreign to them. It's like too far outside of their comfort zone, you could say, uh, but they would be really good at it because they're just normal down to earth, maybe grounded guys. So what, what would you say to them that could get them over the edge to commit to changing their lives, to learning new skills, to starting a business and so on? Yeah, I think it's interesting for me. This is something that Actually, yesterday, I just randomly kind of had this sort of epiphany. But I realized, I remember when I was getting into the dating stuff, guys were like, you know, why are you doing this? You're a good looking dude and tall and stuff like that. I'm like, whatever, you know, whatever that means. And I realized for me, what it was is because my parents, they are each other's high school sweetheart. And so then for me at 16, I'm like, I need my high school sweetheart and get married. So from 16 to 24, basically those formative years of when you're supposed to learn how to date, courtship, flirt, all those things. I just was completely oblivious to it. And so then all of a sudden I'm 25 and I'm, you know, out of college and I'm thinking, well, how the hell do I do this? And for me, what it was is being very analytical. I could actually like break it down to then show this to other people. And I realized the same thing happened when it came to business is that again, you know, you know, parents that were very blue collar, didn't go to college, things like that. 
I didn't have good money mindsets. I didn't have good sort of sales or negotiation tactics. My parents were very like passive, just, Oh, go with the flow, whatever happens. And you know, money flows where, you know, you have that pressure on. Right. And so the more passive you are, it just flows out versus flowing in. And so those were definitely things that I had to very consciously learn and then break down to teach to others. I'd say like the biggest issue with people that are just normal, if we'll go with that, is it's actually more the good to great issue in that things are like decent, things are all right. And because they're not coming from that place of scarcity, they're just like, they, they never really have the, the strong drive to go out and do what they want to do. I definitely noticed that for me, a lot of my sort of, uh, I have a thing called the chosen 20, which is my like intimate one-on-one coaching group. And I think I was telling you beforehand, I pride it on really, it's a lot of guys that have successful corporate gigs. Like they're like CPAs or like in like consulting and stuff like that. And so when all of a sudden you're already making 150 grand a year or something like that, no matter how good your side hustle is going and how much money it's making, it's kind of like, you don't have that where I think I remember you talking about on my podcast, you're like, Oh, I was down to my last $1,500. Or for me, all of a sudden I had like, you know, student loans and credit card debt equaling close to six figures. And I'm like, shit, I need to figure some shit out immediately. And it was, that was the thing, that sense of urgency that led to me throwing some stuff together. That was the huge first turning point to like, for me, that first sort of six figures year came from a place of pain and migraines and ulcers and things like that. And so a lot of it is realizing if you're normal or if you're just kind of like life is solid, but not great, it's not the life you want is realizing that no, actually that's not the case. Cause if you look at things like artificial intelligence and automation and robotics, and you know, they say like, if I'm just making numbers up, but it's, it's a, a big percentage, more than 50% within the next five years, you're going to need to transform some level of your career or move into something else because the things that are around today aren't going to be around in five years. And so the job security you think you have, you really don't have. And then on top of that, imagine if you don't change over the next five years, and you stay on the same path you're on versus what could transform if you took the risk. And I think the other big thing too is realizing that it's not as big of a risk as most people think to where if you go off and you start this thing, you know, it's like, it's not a, 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 you know, a huge red X in your resume or something like this. A lot of times I've had, I've had a few guys that I worked with where they went off, they started a business and they realized it just wasn't for them because they liked the more team aspects and they liked hanging, you know, like not sitting on the laptop all day. I was like, well, this is just a phase. You can go past this too. But they're like, no, I want to go. And like the few times that it's happened, those guys ended up with career moves that were a leapfrog ahead because of the entrepreneurial experience they had. And I'm not saying that that's like, you know, worst case scenario, but I'm saying that the risk is not as big as you think it is. And so hopefully those things kind of push you over the edge to get started. And then I guess the other thing I'd say for the, again, the normal sort of uh, dudes is like, you have to find both your strengths and your weaknesses and really emphasize those things. For me, I really tried to hide behind the dating stuff for a while mm. of going, Oh, you know, this is people kind of, this is a stigma. It's a weird thing. But then I realized I'm like, if I don't use this, who am I? Like, I'm just like the, another wannabe life coach out there. And so it's like, you really have to find, and in a lot of ways, just like in, in dating, it's usually the things that people make fun of you for are your biggest strengths. And so, uh, like I always realized in the dating thing, like the guys that were the most successful with women, they had this sort of like cartoonish aspect of, the, of themselves 
where they're like almost the, the 150 or 200% version of themselves. Mm. And so I think it's the same thing. If you want to be an influencer or a coach or any sort of authority, you have to highlight the eccentricities and, and all the, the weird stuff that you got going on as well. Interesting. Interesting. I should start doing that. Although it would be probably a little bit too weird if I did that myself. <laughs> I think it's good. Yeah. Whether you like video games or whatever, man. Yeah. You know, you got to highlight, highlight the shit, you know? Hmm. So let's talk about the guys who are a little bit more advanced. So who are ready, uh, ready to hire their first employees. Uh, I heard a lot of limiting beliefs around this and I heard a lot of fear around hiring your first employee. So what are some good ways of resolving this? Who should do it? Why? And how do they like reframe it? So it makes more sense. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Hopefully you don't hear uh, some landscaping going on out there. <clears throat> um, but I think the biggest thing, like I said, if I bring this more meta and kind of uh, go on a higher level here, it really comes down to how do I take any risk? And so I think when it comes down to first realizing that the only way you're going to be successful is like, you have to take a risk. You know, when you become, if you want the freedom to live the life that you want to live, you know, there's a lot of responsibility and risk associated with that. Otherwise it's like, and it's almost like a direct line where you could go like the more risk I can take here, you know, calculated, of course, don't like be playing the lottery or something like that. That's going to lead to more success. And I think one of those is uh, the employee. There's so many sort of, oh, what ifs? What if this happens? What if, um, you know, I mess it up? You know, how do I set up the right corporate culture? Do I need to put benefits? And I think the most important thing is just having that ready, fire, aim mindset of just going in and jumping in. You know, I guess one thing I would say even before that is one of the best business principles that I've ever learned from an early mentor was go with the lowest commitment possible. And I think this is something that, you know, you don't need, you're like, okay, I'm a business owner. This is my thoughts. I'm a business owner now. I need employees. And so I hired people and they weren't full-time to start, but I was like, Hey, you know what? There's this opportunity where I'm going to get you full-time and it's going to be 40 hours a week. I'll salary you. Like this is the, the future of the business. And I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Modeling kind of, you know, jobs that I had in the past or something like that. But what you want to do as much as possible is go, how can I, you know, set up a two week trial or even just go with outsourcers? Because what I realized, and I've seen this with a lot of clients is whatever you measure grows. And so for me with that one, uh, like a few employees where I'm like, I'm going to get you to 40 hours. I was just trying to get them to 40 hours. And there were things that I thought were sort of productive for the business of like, oh, let's update the website or let's add logos here and there. But I realized now after the fact that I was just creating stuff for them to do that they really didn't need to be doing at that phase of the business. Like, cool, this was great. Now I have the stuff, but the cash flow that I had, the runway that I had at the time, that was not stuff I should have been having them do. So keeping it to like as low as commitment as possible, instead of hiring a full-time podcast editor, just be like, hey, whenever I have an episode, I'll shoot it off to you. And if I don't do it for a week, I don't want you to come back with, you don't even need to say this, but just setting up a relationship where they're not like, Hey man, do you have any more episodes? Uh, just being like, you know, it's very much, you know, uh, one way a, a guy liked, uh, he told me how it is, is basically it's like, it's an accordion. Mm -hmm. And the faster you can kind of go out and go in, uh, it's going to lead to just that lean aspect of your business. Um, so if you can do that, but then, like I said, 
for, for me right now, I'm hiring an executive assistant. And one thing I would suggest doing is like, if you can find two or three people that have something similar, just reach out. So for me, all of a sudden one friend's like, here's the job description that I sent out. Another one's like, here's, you know, how I set up the two week trial. And then all of a sudden I could feel myself going like, well, tell me this specific little nuance or tell me this specific little nuance. And at some point I was like, you know what? I got enough here. Now I got to go fuck it up for myself basically. And so just being like, okay, go in, do it, ready, fire, aim. You're probably going to have a couple awkward conversations. Maybe your first interview or two is not going to be the best. And then I think kind of what we were talking about before with sales is again, just having that abundance mindset to know that there's no perfect, you know, employee. There's going to be another one that comes along that's going to be just as good, if not probably better. And so really look at it as an opportunity for growth, feedback, just like anything else. Hmm. I'm actually also just hiring an executive assistant, funny enough. So I uh, made it easier because I was procrastinating on it because it's, it's such an important position. Even though it's assistant, it's still a very important position because they, they have to talk to me every single day and they're going to be forced to be involved with the core activities of the business because they're assisting me. So what I ended up doing is I went to the best possible expensive HR consultant that I could find. She charges $100 an hour and I'm just getting her to do it. So I, it's a project, it's $1,000 plus ad spend and we're looking at um, between 60 and 80 applicants before we choose a good one. So that, that's the process that's happening right now just to hire an executive assistant. Um, but it definitely takes the edge off because I'm not responsible for interviewing every single person and making them go down the pipeline, the, you know, the recruitment funnel and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to make the final decision and I, you know, answer the questions that she asked me. So that, that made it a lot easier for me to pull the trigger on that because it's, it's just money. It's just, you know, $1,500, including ad spend, I guess. So it's, it's not a big deal mm-hmm. that way. If I had to do the whole thing myself, it would be like, whoa, where do we even start? <laughs> and I have experience hiring. So it, it's hard. I think it's hard for any business owner, even ones who have experience hiring. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say quickly with that. It's like, I think it's also important to realize like the stages of business, right? Where it's like really the first stage is you're figuring out your sort of deliverable and you're figuring out the sales and marketing process to that. And I think what happens is all of a sudden you get that mastered really well and you're like, nice, now it's time to scale. But what you don't realize when it comes to scaling is that now all of a sudden it's like almost like starting over, which is also another reason why I love business is because there's always another level. But now it moves away from like deliverables and you know, your customers to shit. Now I need to build a team and now I need to figure out how to, you know, do I, how often do I ask them about like, you know, their family and, you know, do I give them vacation time or can they work virtually or is it not? And it's like all that, like in the human dimension, right? You're like, shit, I just had this all figured out. I almost feel like I'm starting over. And so I think it is, how can you move up that learning curve as fast as possible? So I loved what you're talking about, like either through hiring or mentorship or, you know, friends that have gone there before, like not reinventing the wheel to try to build that skill. And I, but I think that's the other thing is like just accepting. And then again, like any, not like the sales process too, not just accepting and managing or coping, accepting then learning how to thrive on the next level of business, which really is more of like focusing on people versus like the process, I guess. That was pretty cool. I think I'm going to use that again. Focus (laughs) on the people, not the process, like level two business there, you know? 
Yeah, that, that one's tough. And all the guys who are really good at process are particularly bad at the people stuff that comes after you have a bunch of process in your business. Uh, and me to some degree as well, even though I, uh, you know, started off uh, hiring people early on. But okay, anyway, so let's let's just switch to a different topic if you don't mind. So um, we talked about pricing, we talked about recruitment and all this stuff, but what is kind of above that, in my opinion, is just confidence. So how do business uh, owners get more confident? I've met business owners, especially in the technical field, that are genius level entrepreneurs and genius level engineers, but they have such low confidence. They think that if they get on calls, it'll take them years to learn sales. It'll take them years to learn how to recruit it. It'll take them years to figure out how to do everything basically. And these guys are a lot smarter than me. It didn't take me that long. Uh, so so how, how do they develop confidence fast so they can get results the same year that they start? Okay, so what I would say, you know, I think a lot of people, I would hazard a guess of a lot of your clients because I think this is something I see for myself. Like I pride myself on being very smart, analytical. And so I think we attract a lot of what we are. I see that a lot in yourself too. And so I feel that people that are, overly, you know, if you identify as being intelligent, it can really get in the way a lot of times when it comes to social things, because you're like over calibrated or you're overly analyzing the situation and going, what's the best way for me to respond to this? Or what should I say here? And things like that. And I think when it comes to confidence, you know, if I go back again to another dating example, the guys that were the best were the ones that were like, literally like, I'm a football player. And I went to, uh, you know, I didn't even go to school, but they're just, cause a lot of times there's oblivious to social cues and they're just like, I'm God's gift to the world. And that sort of oblivious to feedback, feedback attitude is what makes them so confident, right? Or they're drunk. That's the other thing, like in a bar or club or something like that, which does the same thing, right? It just kind of removes the self-conscious aspect of things. Doesn't help in business though, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just just take two beers, right? Yeah, have two beers on a sales call and then you're good, right? <laughs> no, I'd say that's not a good idea. But so what it is, is I think like what, what the sort of uh, ultimate is when you have both. When you can be analytical, persuasive and, and, and calibrated and things like that, but also just understanding, okay, where does confidence come from, right? And so I kind of hinted at this before. Truly, I feel confidence. It's a byproduct of experience. And so you need to have reference points to feel confident. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that we really compartmentalize this. And each one of us is confident at something. We've, we've all mastered some area of our life. And so a lot of times what I'll do with the client, if he has a specific area where he's just not feeling, if it's like a sales on the phone or something like that, um, or if it's to, you know, to quit, quit the job or something like that, like whatever, or like you know, hiring the next employee, kind of like, delegating certain aspects it's going like okay let's what's something that you're really awesome at what's something that you're great at you know and so they'll be like okay you know i'm not good at anything like just what's something that you've mastered you know they're like well i'm really great at this video game i think that's the extreme example so we'll use this and so i'm like or like snowboarding or something it's like oh i'm really good at snowboarding i'm like okay cool so when you're about to go off a jump or when you're getting off the gondola and you're thinking about you're going to hit this mountain like what's going through your mind what are you thinking about and they're like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm just thinking about, fuck yeah, I'm gonna hit this jump. It's gonna be epic. And you know, I'm visualizing myself going off and doing the move. 
and just seeing the landing, landing super you know, smooth with it and landing flat and people are cheering. And I'm like, awesome. So what is it? What are you thinking about when you get on that next, like, like, you know, starting your business or getting on that next sales call? And they're like, you know what? I'm just like, what, what if it, what if they, you know, laugh at me or what happens if I say the price and I kind of stutter and then all of a sudden they're like, oh man. And they, they just get off the phone or they don't even show up. And so it's a mixture of everything from like, what are you imagining happening to the tone of voice? You know, there's weird shit where it's not even your tone. A lot of, it's like your mother's voice of like the self-critical mind inside your head going like, you're never going to be good enough. And so then all of a sudden you're like, should I hire this person? But you're never going to succeed. You know, and it's like some shit that, you know, your mom said when you're four or something like that. And so it's like, I think a lot of when you get into the, the deeper inner game stuff, uh, and like I said, a lot that I learned kind of in the hypnotherapy realm and NLP stuff is that there's a lot of, you have the strategy for success inside. You've been successful at something before. And I was even thinking before the call, I'm like, okay, how would I end this? Like my most sort of elegant way to end. And I'm not saying we're ending right now, but it, it really comes down to my favorite sort of phrase is it's never your identity. It's always your strategy. And so too often when we see something happen enough times, we think it's just a part of who we are. So, oh, you know what? I guess I'm just not good at business. I'm, I'm not good at sales because my first five sales didn't go well. It's like, well, what is your strategy? It was probably something you, you, you know, you learned really early on in some, you, you're four years old or five years old and you're in kindergarten and you steal somebody's little Lego and the teacher yells at you when you're like, hey, and all of a sudden now you're afraid of social interactions. And so when you get on the phone or all of a sudden, you know, let's say, you know, you accidentally like steal something like you, you shoplift and you didn't know you were five or you're six and you're like, I like this shirt or this toy. And all of a sudden you take it and your mom's like, you need to pay for that. Like money's valid. And all of a sudden you get this weird sort of money sort of issue where you can't like money is this, this scary thing. And like, who knows what the random stuff is. But I think the bigger thing to realize is a lot of these things are still driving you today. And so that's something that I really try to suss out and seeing, okay, where are these sort of, you know, trigger responses internally that are holding you back? And where are strategies that you do have? We each have from areas of mastery, areas that we succeeded in before. And how can I kind of transmute those reference points to these other areas, especially in business specifically we're talking about here. And then what it does, it, it gives you this new feeling of confidence because you're like, yeah, I do deserve it. I have done this before. There's a strategy here. And I've done the strategy before successfully. Let's do it again. And maybe I haven't done it a lot yet, but I know that this isn't about me as a person. It's just something that I got to bang the guns. I got to put the time in, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's me ranting there a bit, but yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I think that when I started using my core competence uh, or I have two or three of them. So I have two or three things that I'm actually good at and most other things I'm terrible at. So when I started focusing on those in business, instead of trying to patch up the little um, flaws that I have in other areas, that's when I think my business really lifted off. And outside of business, when I started leveraging those core competences on whatever problem that I have, uh, that problem tends, tended to just go away by, uh, almost by itself. So have you noticed that as well? Because I think there's like this distinction between self-development and business. In self-development, people focus on patching up and in business, people tend to focus on what they're really good at. What is your take on this? I, yeah, I would totally agree that you got to find your strengths. You got to find what you're good at. 
and learn how to harness those areas, you know? Um, I think, you know, probably one of the biggest ones that I see with entrepreneurs, especially is the whole visionary thing. So I don't know if you've read the book, uh, rocket fuel, where no. they talk about the visionary and integrator. It's one of my favorite books, but the, uh, the reason I like it is because most visionaries, they almost beat themselves up because they're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I get, you know, I'm all over the place and I'm just like, you know, I'm just always out. What's the next shiny object. And I, you know, I get, you know, bored of things really fast. You know, I'm just really bad when it comes to kind of systems or putting things in place. And I'm like, that's your role as the visionary is what they talk about. The thing that I don't like about it is they're like, you need an integrator. We're just hiring like an ops guy or a COO or something like that. But it almost makes it seem like it's the, you know, the magic pill in a way. <laughs> but I think uh, it's, it's a great, like so much of business you need to figure out, like become more self-aware and say, what am I best at? And for sure, I 100% agree that like, you don't want to focus on your weaknesses and trying to bring those up because that's time that you should be spending on what are my strengths and how can I get even better at those? And that, that's also like the competitive advantage, right? Like wh whatever you're uniquely good at, that's what leads to, you know, the success of your client and what separates you from everyone else. Like I said, for myself, that sort of analytical side that I have and being able to break stuff down and distill it down and, and sort of the, you know, calibration that I have when talking to people, whether it's dating, coaching, or in business, it's like, that's my unique shit. So it's like, I should probably be spending less time or I have stopped spending all the time doing like, web design or even kind of, uh, you know, managing the Facebook ads. It's like, yes, my expertise of what market should we target towards or maybe the ad copy. Yeah, I do that. But I don't need to be every time, you know, the Facebook manager changes to be the one in there trying to master that thing or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. it's like delegate that sort of stuff. Right. Um, I would say it's less so that there's a, a, a distinction between self-development and business in that like hundred percent, focus on the strengths, don't worry too much about the weaknesses, but it's almost like I feel self-development integrates into business where there's just certain things that you need, not only to be successful in any area, including business, but just to be happy and fulfilled. And so, because I think if you're happy, you're fulfilled, you have a lot of self-awareness, um, high self-esteem, a high sense of self, those things amplify whatever strengths you already have. So I would say, yeah, if you don't know web design, don't go, learn that weakness. Uh, but if it is something like if you have low self-esteem, you need to work on that because that's going to, like I said, amplify and magnify whatever strengths you already have. Right. Um, so I guess that'd be the distinction. Hmm. Okay. I think, I think that's a good ending. I think, uh, we can cut it here. So Wade, thank you very much. It was really nice being on uh, your podcast. So, um, but also very nice having you here and uh, getting your input on these very common questions that I'm sure we both get. So thank you very much. So for sure. Thanks for having where, me. Where can people find you? Like what is the best way people can get to you, follow you on the internet, you know, contact you and so on? Yeah. So the business is just Wade Alters Consulting. WadeAlters.com is the website if you want to kind of see what I'm up to in every area um, since it's podcast here. Uh, the Wade Alters Show is the podcast. And, uh, you know, we just started doing episodes twice a week with interviews like with yourself and then me putting up some of my own stuff once a week as well. So those would be the main spots. Also, if you just want to kind of reach out, uh, I'm always posting on Facebook as well. So that'd be a more intimate location as well. Awesome. All right. Thank you. And I'll see you in LA someday. Have a oh, yeah. great day. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. This was our show for today. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast if you like it. I'll see you next time. If you'd like to find out more about me, visit vitkin.net. That's V-I-T-K-I-N.net. Thank you for listening to the show and see you next time.